0: You're listening to the Weed Smart Podcast, where each fortnight we chat about dealing with those pesky weeds. Welcome to another week of the Weed Smart Podcast. Thanks for joining us. I'm joined again by my co-host, Peter Newman, and we're going to be getting a bit of a preview of the Emerald Weed Smart Week and why it's important for growers in that central Queensland area to attend We're also going to be hearing from Ian Taylor who is part of a family farming operation and they're looking at reducing their reliance on chemical use so he's going to give us an overview of his farming system and the approach they're taking and he's based in that Horsham area where our other secondary Weed Smart Week event is taking place and we're also going to interview our co-host Peter Newman and talk about his presentation he recently did entitled No Knockdown and No Worries and why he is encouraging farmers to potentially see without a knockdown in in some situations. So that'll be interesting to get into in just a moment. But how are you going, Pete? Yeah, very
1: well, Jeff and how are
0: you? I'm really good. Busy times at the moment. It's only six weeks away until our first Weed Smart Week event. So we're very busy in the office with Weed Smart stuff, but it's all good and we're really excited, so
1: Right. Yes.
0: Yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, and Ari has been busy too. We've had Syngenta visit recently uh, for Weedsmutt and Ari, and we we also have a farmer group coming in tomorrow to Ari that you're going to be hosting. So, yeah, it's all happening, really.
2: Yeah, it's great, isn't it, getting people coming in and talking to them? We, we love it.
0: Now, Pete, you have recently been doing some presentations and you've done, people might have heard you on the radio talking about this topic, about if you don't have a knockdown, you don't need to worry. How did this come about initially, Pete? How did you get on to talking about this topic?
2: Yeah, the West Midlands group asked me to come and speak at their group and they just said, Peter Newman, weeds, and I said, okay, well, let's uh, narrow it down a little bit. And they spoke to a few farmers and said, well, look, we haven't. West Midlands is a higher rainfall sort of area in WA, very reliable break to the season generally, and they're sort of going into their third year in a row without much of a knockdown, and so that was the topic of conversation. Can we keep doing this, Jess, and, and can we keep farming without a knockdown?
0: Yeah, right. So why would you encourage farmers to seed without a knockdown? What's the benefit?
2: Well, for that reason, we've we've sort of got this sketchy autumn rainfall in Western Australia, at least, and I'm sure a lot of other people in the rest of the country would agree that the season break just isn't reliable. And uh, and you know, it may be like this year; it was June before we got a decent rain. So if we wait for June rain to come around, then wait for two weeks for good germination, then a knockdown, we're just losing so much yield because you know of that delayed sowing effect. And do we need to do that? And I think what it is, is the knockdown It's great when you get it, but don't get me wrong. If there are knockdown opportunities, we want to take them. But there are so many years coming up like this one, where it's dry, uh, and people start dry feeding, and then they think, right, well, we're not going to get a knockdown. What can we do about this? So it's just becoming more, more common, Jess. But also, I think the scale of farms, we've got big farms, the more... Hectares they can put that cedar over, the more efficient that farm is at turning rain into money. And if we can maximise that efficiency, we can maximise profit and productivity, and early sowing is a big part of that. So, that ability to go dry seeding with confidence is is the reason, Jess.
0: Okay, right. So some people might be listening to this and thinking that this is just a response to the regulatory environment around glyphosate. Is there any semblance of truth in that at all, Pete?
2: Not at all. I'm not going into this thinking it's because we're going to lose glyphosate we need to learn to farm without a knockdown. I'm not thinking that way at all. I'm more just thinking about maximising productivity. We need glyphosate at all, at lots of different times of the year, including the knockdown. And so, no, it's certainly not about that, Jess. It's more a reflection of just our our modern farming system and the seasons that were being dialed up.
0: Okay, that makes sense. And so, with this approach, how should farmers go about putting a crop in without a knockdown then?
2: Yeah, well, I think there's a few aspects to it. And number one is getting a good, robust, pre-emergent herbicide mix. And so we've talked about mix and rotate, yes, mixing two pre-emergent herbicides together where you can. And so what I came up with was if you are going into seeding, and we're always recommending a mix of two herbicides, but we know it can be cost prohibitive. But if you're going in without a knockdown, why not spend the knockdown money on a mixing partner? So you might have been spending, you know, seven or eight dollars on, uh, on knockdown. Why not spend that money and perhaps a little bit more on the second pre-emergent herbicide, mix two pre-ems together and start the season with a robust pre-em herbicide package, which is not only good for resistance management, but is also good for uh, just the difference in soil moisture conditions that you can get. And the other parts of it, Jess, are growing a competitive crop, just doing what you can so that... When the crop does come up and the weeds at the same time, if your crop is competitive, the more it can compete with those weeds, the more it can yield and more it can suppress their weed set. And then other parts of it, I've talked about crop topping. That's not for all crops, but where crop topping allows you to stop seed set, my sort of catch cry there is if you don't get a knockdown at the beginning of the season, try and get one at the end. And, and stop seed set then, and finally, of course, harvest weed seed control, Jess. Yep. So there's, you know, there's a few, I've banged on a bit there, but there's a few elements that we can, strings that we can pull on where, okay, we're not getting the weeds in that knockdown period, but we can get them at these other times of the year as well.
0: Yes, certainly. And would this be an approach you would suggest for all farmers, or is it a little bit selective on who should go down this path?
2: Well, I do think it's all farmers. I mean, I know farmers in the central wheat field that have barely had a knockdown for a decade, and their farms are as clean as a whistle, Jess. It really shows that it's possible. But, you know, if you've got a farming system and perhaps you're just rolling out a bit of cross and you are wide row spacing, low seeding rates, uncompetitive varieties, you're not growing a competitive crop, and that's about it, then you need a knockdown. I mean, if, you're, if you've got a system which is very simple and is you know, let's call it, say, a little bit old school, where we just use our pre-ems and shut the gate, you definitely need a knockdown to keep that system alive. But if you've got a farming system that has good, robust pre-emergent herbicides, hopefully two mixed together, competitive crop, which might be just east-west sowing and a competitive cultivar, which doesn't cost much, crop-topping where it fits, and then one of the six harvest weed seed control tools, I think that if you combine those tools, we can comfortably farm getting a knockdown very infrequently. You know, we're, we don't have anyone who never gets a knockdown out there, but we have a lot of farmers that, that get one you know, not very often these days, and if yeah. they throw all that kitchen sink at it, they can have a win.
0: And we're hoping to speak with Chris Preston on this topic in, in a bit more detail, slightly different angle, a bit more looking at the research that's come about. Can you just give a bit of an overview of uh, the work Chris has done in this space?
2: Yeah, well, what Chris will say, I've heard him say it in some presentations... Uh, in the last couple of years, he will say, look, I was with all the other weed scientists. We used to say if you've got a weedy paddock, delay sowing, get a knockdown and seed. And he's changed his tune. He's saying, no, they've got research saying put in a good robust pre get the crop up and going. And what happened is that they had, you know, when they didn't get a knockdown, they had a few more weeds in crop, but that crop got on to compete better in the warmer weather because it was earlier sowing, where those very late sowing crops can be very slow growing in the cold and the weeds can, uh, can set a lot of seed. So Chris will go into more detail, but he will certainly say that he is uh, in the, you know, he'll, he'll context it more, but it, it, the early sowing certainly is possible with a good farming system.
0: Yeah, great. Yeah, look forward to catching up with Chris on that. And thanks, Pete, for that awesome overview on the topic. It's definitely a really interesting and important topic to cover. Up next, we're going to be chatting with Ian Taylor and looking at his farming system. And there are some parallels with what him and his family are doing with their farming system to what you've just spoken about, isn't there, Pete?
2: Yeah, well, Ian, they talk about being innovators. And the thing that struck me when Ian started talking about his farming system is they've got a range of crops that they can grow in this part of the world. And when you've got a range of crops and, and open hay to choose from, you've just got diversity to start with. So that diverse range of crops gives you a diverse range of weed control tools. Yeah, definitely.
0: All right, well, we go into quite a little bit of detail about his farm. It's just outside of Horsham. And, yeah, we learn about the some of the innovative tactics that they're using for their family farm in that Horsham area. So let's take a listen. Ian Taylor and his family are farming with the view of being able to have a successful operation with a reduction in the reliance on the use of chemicals. They strongly want to preserve herbicides as tools, but they're aware of the increasing regulatory pressures on chemicals and the way they are used globally, as well as the ongoing threat of herbicide resistance. So their aim is to be having a successful farming operation into the future using all the available methods of weed control. The Taylors have been narrow wind burning for many years and have also started chaff And they have trialled a harvest weed seed destructor as another way to see how to manage their weed seeds. Ian Taylor will be on the Harvest Weed Seed Control Panel at Weed Smart Week in Horsham and will also be visiting his farm, so it's great to be able to catch up with him beforehand. How are you going, Ian? Good morning, Jess. Fine, thank you. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. So we gave a little bit of an overview of your farm and uh, the fact that you're going to be at Weed Smart Week, but can you just tell us a little bit more about your farming system and and your family farm?
1: Yeah, for sure. Look, my brother and I, we farm about 40 kilometres east of Horsham in an area that's known as uh, Lubeck. We are fully a cropping program. On our farm, we grow canola, wheat, barley, uh, lentils, faba beans. And we also do hay for export and domestic markets. Just we use a, a no-till practice here, and our soils in this area vary from uh, heavy grey clay through to a sandy loam. And our farm is also spread over a large area, so we, we've sort of our land, our properties, are spread out.
0: Yeah, great. And so yeah, it sounds like you've got a very uh, a busy farming system going on there, and uh, good that you've all that the family's all involved and has all got their tasks on the farm because it sounds like a busy time for you all, and. You're also not only very uh, productive farmers, but you're also quite innovative. So can we talk about what prompted your family to approach farming with the premise of reducing your reliance on chemicals?
1: Yes, yes. So the view there is that we want to continue responsibly using chemicals to be integrated into our, into our operations. So we obviously have got resistance to some chemicals, and we with the chemicals that we've still got there, we still want to prolong them into the future and that's that's obviously uh, created us to do some lateral thinking I suppose we're outside the square thinking that's where that's come from
0: Yeah, excellent. So, yeah, that's really interesting uh, to hear because, yeah, it's a very kind of future-focused look at things as well. So that's really good that you guys are looking into the future and and are very much aware of the changing space and and you you guys sound like you're going to be really ready for whatever gets thrown at you. So you also are using harvest weed seed control tools like chaff lining and, and the harvest weed seed destructor. Can you tell us a little bit about the difference in weed burden since implementing those tools?
1: It's just the assistance of, of what we're doing here with rotating the chemicals, windrow burning, chaff lighting and seed destructor. So we started out with the narrow windrow burning on a, a property we bought, and it, it had all types of weeds on it. So when we knew some of those weeds were resistant to some chemicals, so the narrow wind burning was put into place for that particular block, and. and and from there, we've seen the results in how we can actually contain the weeds to a small area and then burn them and do something about it. Following on from that, like we run into some problems with the burning side of the time of the year, permits, wind conditions or weather conditions. So that's where we went to the next stage. We've now trialling or been trialling the chaff lining leaving the residue on the soil and not burning it and trying to use that the residue as a barrier so the weeds don't germinate in there and, and trying that. And then also this year we had a opportunity to have the, the weed seed destructor come onto the farm, which we had it here for two days and we looked at how that worked, the downfalls or, or the good side and the bad side and... That was interesting in our own use, so we, we did some recording with that here on the farm as well.
0: Yeah, right. So will you go forward using a harvest weed seed destructor then? Look,
1: at the moment, we are inquiring on the, on the availability of those weed seed destructors or, or the terminators or whatever is available and looking at the cost of them and, and what, where it may fit into our program. Okay, great.
0: Ian, you've got a family farm and you guys are quite innovative and I'm interested to know what actually shaped your family's approach to farming with this innovative approach. How did you kind of come around to this kind of culture, I guess?
1: Well, just because we've got younger members in the family and we want to be farming for the next 100 years, I suppose, here in this area. So if we're we're always out looking, what's new, what can we do, and where are we going? So, we, we have regular meetings here on the farm discussing these things. My eldest son works at Birchip Cropping Group, so he has some ideas. Peter's uh, lad is currently working in WA and he has some input in, of ideas, and so we just band them around. And so, I suppose, Peter, in my view, is how can we be farming in another 50 years or let these boys take over and, and have their families working? On our land into the future
0: Yeah, excellent, it's a great approach So Ian, thank you so much so far for giving us That overview of your farming system You will be presenting At Weed Smart Week as we said earlier How do you think farmers and agronomists Will benefit from attending Weed Smart Week in Horsham?
1: Uh, That's pretty simple Look, our boys went up last year to Wagga And come home full of information So by attending it they'll, They'll get the latest information The chemicals, windrow burning, chaff lining Seed destructors, even robotics or and it gives them the opportunity to talk to farmers and he works in the field what doesn't work in the field and they just get a, a good general feel to what may work on their property
0: yeah great all right well thank you so much Ian look look forward to meeting you in person in Horsham
1: always no Yes. thank you
0: thank you so much to Ian Taylor Lubeck farmer there in that Horsham area where we smart week will be in Just over a month's time, yeah, it's just around the corner. So we look forward to hearing more from him in person, Pete. But yeah, he's got a really interesting, innovative approach with his family farm, doesn't he?
2: Yeah, I just love the fact they talk about 100 years, Jess. You know, some people might talk about this year or a couple of years at a time, but they are in it for the long haul and they are truly thinking of a a long-term sustainable farming system. Really interesting to hear someone taking that long view.
0: Yeah, it's awesome. Look forward to hearing more from him at Weed Smart Week. And speaking of Weed Smart Week, Pete, we do have those two events this year and we've got one in Emerald as well, which is actually even closer than the Horsham one. It's going to be kicking off on August 13th. And we've got Hayley Ames, who will be speaking on the podcast in just a moment, who is working for the Central Queensland Growth Solutions Group. And she's giving a bit more of a detailed overview on why it's so important for an event like Weed Smart Week to come into that Central Queensland area. In emerald, Pete what's your view from what's your view around that and the fact that it's an important region to get those weed smart messages across?
2: in yeah, well, such a totally different farming system, isn't it just to that southern system, a lot of uh, infrequent rain, different weed species, different crops, enormous diversity of crops in that part of the world yeah. as well. but so just you know you've got to look at the biology of all the weeds as well and have a look at do they retain seed, are they summer growing, winter growing? I mean, there's just so much to learn and I think it's a part of the world where herbicides were just working beautifully for a very long time and then all of a sudden some of the big problems like glyphosate resistance turned up and all of a sudden they have to adopt uh, new practices and probably invent their own practices in a big hurry. I think in the southern farming system it was probably a more gradual move to herbicide resistance and then integrated weed management. I think it's happening a lot faster in Queensland. and so they've got to really they've got to really respond quickly.
0: Yeah, they've got to grow it by the horns, that's for sure. But you know, taking a positive slant that could be a really good thing because it does get people talking and, and getting a bit innovative and talking about ideas of how they can adapt things like harvest weed sea control into their system. So we're really looking forward to some of the conversations that will pop up at that event. Shall we hear from Haley, Pete? Sounds good. Let's take a listen. This year we're having two Weed Smart Week events and one of those events will be held in the northern region in Emerald. Central Queensland Grower Solutions Group have been assisting in putting this event together with Weed Smart and their extension officer Hayley Ames is going to chat with us about why it's so important that Weed Smart Week does come to the region. Firstly, how are you going Hayley?
3: Yeah, good thanks, how are you?
0: Really good, uh, obviously very busy time for you and we really appreciate all your assistance with helping in putting together the event. Could you give us a little bit of background firstly on your CQ Grower Solutions Group just so we get an understanding?
3: Yeah, sure, not a problem. So the Central Queensland Grower Solutions Project is a GRDC-funded project that is delivered by the Queensland Department of Agriculture and Fisheries. It's an extension-based project that we deliver across Central Queensland. So we service an area sort of from the Mount McLaren-Kilcummon area in the northwest down to sort of the theodore room area in the southeast. That encompasses sort of 450 grain growers and roughly 550,000 hectares of farming land within that region. The real aim of the project is to provide linkages between regional research and localised development that result in locally relevant outcomes and answers to research questions. So the project is designed to help growers and agronomists make more informed management decisions and practice changes that result in increased production and profitability on farm. So, the project has sort of been running since 2015 and we've delivered a range of extension activities aimed at addressing production constraints around sort of five key themes and one of those is integrated management of hard-to-control weed species.
0: Yeah, okay. So, could you give us an overview of some of those weed issues that the region is facing and how growers are controlling weeds?
3: Yeah, so the issues we face in CQ are probably not too dissimilar to the issues faced in other parts of the Northern Grains region. Weed species such as rose grass, flea fleabane, south thistle, sweet summer grass are quite prevalent in our system and are a significant production constraint for growers in this region. In terms of weed management, what we are finding is that growers are generally aware of the standalone herbicide and non-herbicide control options and can generally identify the situations in which these controls are most effective. I think what we really need to look more closely at is how to better integrate multiple management strategies to get on to get on top of some of these hard to control weed species, which is obviously a key component of our project, CQ Grow Solutions, but also Weed Smart. We are also similar to other regions, seeing an increase in prevalence of herbicide resistance. We are fortunate in our region that we have a number of winter and summer crops that we can plant in our system, which enables us to rotate mode of action groups. However, I think it's something that we really need to continue to be proactive with in that space. I think growers in this region also acknowledge the importance of including residual herbicides in the mix as a mean to rotate groups and manage you know, resistance in the long term as well. In terms of an opportunity in this region, I think the real opportunity or gap is probably harvest weed seed control. It's not something that has been taken up in this region, not very widespread, so I think that's certainly an opportunity for this region moving forward.
0: Yeah, great. And why do you think that there has been, just like for other people living in different regions across the country, like why do you think that there hasn't been that take-up of harvest weed seed control, do you think?
3: I think, to date, a lot of the control options that we've had, the residual and knockdowns, have been working reasonably well. This increase in resistance has obviously, I guess, opened the box for people to realise that we can't use a standalone approach and expect that to continue to work. I think the harvest weed seed control is something that has been used more widely in the southern region. I guess that's partly because they've been dealing with resistance for a bit longer. So I think that's probably the driver for why the harvest weed seed control hasn't been taken up in this region as much. But I think we took a, a group of growers down to smart last year and I think the key learning from that was that harvest weed seed control is something that we need to be looking at and adapting
0: for our system. Yeah, definitely. So you kind of touched on it uh, just before, but could you give us a bit of an overview of why it is important for growers to come along to WeedSmart Week in Emerald?
3: Yeah, so Smart essentially is a really practical event. I think the key for WeedSmart is that it's more focused around presentations from growers and agronomists as opposed to the research end. So in that, it really gives growers some strategies that they can take home and implement straight away. So the whole theme, I think, around Weed Smart is about growers learning from growers and what we find in a lot of what we do is that's the key to a lot of this stuff. As I mentioned previously, we took 14 growers down to WeedSmart in Narrabri last year and some of the feedback from that event was really positive and a lot of those growers have really been pushing to have Weed Smart in central Queensland this year. Some of the feedback from those growers was that we really need to think differently and be innovative about how we manage weeds in our system and that we can't just rely on conventional herbicide-based methods moving forward and that we need to have multiple tools in the toolbox to effectively manage some of our hard-to-control weed species. So we're really excited to be partnering with Weed Smart to deliver this event in Central Queensland this year. and. I'd really encourage growers to get along to this event. I think it's going to be a fantastic opportunity to network with a whole suite of industry and growers and hear the latest and greatest in the weed
0: space. Excellent. Yeah, and we're really excited to meet more of the growers in central Queensland too. We're looking forward to coming along to Emerald and, yeah, we'll see you there. But uh, until then, thanks very much, Hayley. Really appreciate you taking the time. No worries. Thanks, Jess. Thank you very much to Hayley Ames there for taking the time out to give a bit more of an overview of why it's so important that Weed Smart Week gets to that Central Queensland area. And Pete, she did mention harvest weed seed control is one of the uh, core tools that growers there are looking at considering. And obviously, with a different farming system, they would need to consider where it fits. What's your perspective on how they should approach that?
2: Yeah, well, there has been some research done already, Jess, about which weed species it will suit. So we're a little bit down the. Track there and whether it suits more the, the summer crops or the winter crops. And so really, yeah, I don't think it's going to suit every weed and, and every cropping system up there, Jess, but there's certainly going to be situations where it does work. And so probably nothing that out first is, is the first part of it, rather than recommending widespread adoption of harvest weed seed control immediately, if you know what I mean. We, we probably need to look at it uh, on, a, on a weed species and cropping system specific basis, I think.
0: Yeah, definitely. And so you reckon more research is needed in that space then before people move forward with getting machinery and things like that?
2: Yeah, research in that space, but also uh, you know, there'll be a lot of other unique research to that part of the world because we like we say we're talking about different weeds uh, at different times of the year and sometimes growing in fallow where they where they're growing out on their own and they've got all the sunlight, moisture and nutrients that they need. So things like the weed chipper jets that we've seen Recently, using the cameras and then uh, and then a time to come in and chip them out. You know that sort of research, which is going to be super exciting in that part of
0: the world yeah definitely we really look forward to attending Emerald Weed Smart where you can get your tickets now on the Weed Smart website and thank you very much Pete for being one of the guests today as well as the co-host and also to Ian Taylor and Haley Ames at the end there thank you to all the guests and we look forward to catching up with you in a couple of weeks time
2: yeah no problem Jess and uh, I was almost a bit nervous putting myself
0: forward as an option for an interviewee <laughs> I thought I might get knocked back <laughs> definitely not never thank Thank you very much
2: Pete.